Hey everyone, my name is Randy Silkwood and I am the host of the Reframed Podcast. If you're like me, you've probably been through some ups and downs in your life and have struggled to find balance or purpose. Well, let me tell you that there's hope. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you how to find passion, drive, and promise, as well as provide some incredible stories and interviews and examples of incredible spirituality, mindset practices, and connection to help you reframe your spirit so you can reclaim your life. This is the Reframe Podcast. Hey there, everybody. This is Randy Silkwood with the Reframed Podcast. And I want to say this is kind of a special Mother's Day episode as we are getting out of the Mother's Day holiday season. I thought that the most important message is a message of healing, a message of truth, a message that enables us to see that we are all truly having a very human experience as spiritual beings. So today I have the pleasure to join with my birth mother, uh, if you don't know our story, we'll share a little bit about it, but it's it's a harrowing story that, that has spanned nearly 35 years. So I really want to talk about the healing and forgiveness. And so I am so pleased to announce my, my beautiful uh, mother um, by birth who has uh, an extensive history of this being a DJ, a gospel singer, a photographer. She has a, she's done a litany of things, making her all the more well-rounded and incredible. So I want to say to my mother, Jesse Anthony, thank you so much for agreeing to this show. It, it, it takes a lot uh, for what we're sharing. The vulnerability is a lot here. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm pleased to be with my wonderful, incredibly spiritual gentleman that I am proud to call my son. He is, uh, you know, he's just an incredible man. And I know everybody out there just learned so much from him and his teachings. And uh, he's my blessing. He's my, he's my crown. He's my crown. And and the same goes, goes to you because I, our story really, I mean, this has been since, what is it? 1986 in the making. And, and it's really, I love, I've talked about epigenetics and I've talked about family trauma, but really, I've never really, I've really never had the opportunity or really the a need until recently to share some of the, the familial trauma that, 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 that we've encountered. And that's been a perpetual healing process for 35 years. Uh, and, um, the, yeah, the biggest thing is that I think I want to start with is Oftentimes, we see things from one scope, uh, one position, and you were, were you were a woman in your early 20s, and you had to make a, a decision um, to give up uh, not only one, but, but two children up for adoption, which a lot, there's a lot, there's, there can be a lot of shame attached to that. Um, so what I want to start by saying is, I forgive you for ever doubting your own worth and having to make some of the hardest decisions. I know that's not easy. The road to healing isn't an easy one, but you've made it. And I truly believe that everything happens for a divine purpose. I agree with that. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I'm proud of, I'm proud of you. 
I'm proud of you for, for walking in, in, in shame. Um, because there was a lot attached uh, to, to, to mental health, uh, to being a parent, especially in the small community that we came from. So I wanted to start by saying how much I truly love you, how much I appreciate you, and how I'm honestly grateful for the road we've both traveled. Oh, you are such a blessing. And I'm glad, uh, I'm happiest that we have come to this place where we are like, you know, we've said a few times the same person in different bodies. Yeah, just, it's <laughs> go ahead. No, no, it's it's unreal that that we that that we are the argument of nature versus nurture. There are so many small nuances that we share. In fact, uh the reason for this podcast, I really think started when I was probably in second grade when you were on the radio and I would actually hear you. Yeah. <laughs> My little boy, he's grown up to be this amazing, magical person who is so well-rounded. And I like to say, um, everybody that's listening, um, Randy is a self-made man. Randy started out, um, he was born in seven months. He was a preemie. He was in uh, Children's Mercy for three or four months, as I recall. Uh, he was raised in poverty and in shame and in feeling that he was totally disconnected. Um, he's gone through relationships and he's gone through learning experiences and bad jobs and, you know, everything that can happen. And, and you are a powerful self-made man. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I like to think it's a family, I think it's a family resemblance um, because really it's just walking in the footsteps of owning my truth. And, um, I, I share a little bit about that. I, I started working on becoming me, uh, which is about this journey in this season that I'm in is, is, you know, I being a giving up for adoption. My first memory was being left. Uh, and my entire life has been about that moment and not even realizing it, but, um, from bad jobs and bad relationships, it was always being brought back to that moment. So, let 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 let's go back in time just a little bit. And again, thank you for your beautiful words. That 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 just makes me uh, elated, and I hope my head doesn't get too big. Um, but yeah, so take me take me back. Uh, so we're nineteen eighty. We're nineteen eighty seven. Okay. Um, I'd already been born. You'd already kind of touched um, the the uh, the poverty part. But actually, let, let's start there. Um, cause I share about it in the book a little bit, but I, I want the viewers to hear it as well about the house that, that we all lived in right before things got weirder. Okay. Well, um, it was in uh, what they call the Baroque bottoms of Donovan County, Kansas, which is about 40 miles from St. Joe, Missouri. Um, my, at that time, my father-in-law owned his mother's house, which was two miles off the road on an unpaved mud driveway. The house itself had sat vacant for, I think, 20 or 25 years, had no running water. Uh, the roof was collapsing in. There was uh, no amenities, no heat, no phone, no, you know, well, we didn't have internet then, but, you know, no cable television, nothing. Um, and we lived out there with um, our two boys. We didn't have of uh, running water. In fact, we didn't even have a cistern. 
So uh, my ex would have to carry water by hand up to this house. Um, it, it was it was dirty. The carpets were nasty. It was just this horrible thing. And my husband, which is Randy's biological father, um, quit his job. And mm-hmm. we lived up there without food for a long time. Uh, no way to wash clothes. No way to bathe. I was inventing. In fact, maybe Randy will share with you his um, picture of him sitting in a bucket getting his bath. Yeah, that's actually on my Instagram. You can check it out there. Yeah. So so, so just to clarify, you just said there was no food. So when we said that there was no food, what did you mean exactly? I mean that um, there was no food. Uh, the only thing that we had was uh, to poach deer and... We and, and feeding you, um, I got some uh, chocolate pudding, and that's what you lived on. Yeah. Um, your brother, he didn't have milk or any of those things, and he was almost two at the time. And then um, I'll tell you about the miracle. Um, there, the Potawatomi tribe had a, a really amazing uh, outreach for natives, and uh, we went up there, and because I have a smidge of Apache, they literally just down with formula and ham and hamburger and milk, mm-hmm. cookies, oil, baby food. And that was what we had and had to make it to last. Um, it was, now I look back on it, I understand the importance of it, of what, you know, what I went through, what you went through, what we all had gone through. Um, but uh, your dad, he never really strived to take care of us. And uh, it was... Um, a learning experience. I I now know how you use a ringer washer, and I never did before. I know how to cook deer, and I didn't know how to do it before. Yeah, I learned, <laughs> I learned before it. this. Before this uh, background story, you were born on an Air Force base, um, and and you you came from St. Joseph. You lived in St. Joe. There was indoor plumbing. There there were these things, and, and and it sounds so crazy that this was 1986, but the world was a different place. And and, and it, later, the I, I I remember this became a big part of the whole custody battle. What that was brought through the mud was the condition of the house that was lived in, and 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 yeah, of course. I mean, this house. Uh, I think Grandma died uh, in 1978. Uh, at this point, it's been abandoned two miles off a road for almost a decade. Yeah. So, so exactly. there was a, so there was a lot there. Mm-hmm. Well, that uh, your heritage there, but let me tell you, that house was not heritage. One thing about it um, is, over what would have been your room, there was a hole in the ceiling. Uh-huh. During, during the day, we put the cribs in there. Um, just to be in there, you were always in your walker, and uh, so we didn't use that. But at night, we brought the cribs out mm-hmm. for you, so you would be warm, and and you know the roof on it, just typical things. But yeah. for some reason, that became their mantra um, that I made yeah. my children sleep in this room where they were being rained upon, and yeah, they're just such a. Yeah. And, 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 and it, again, it sounds so far-fetched, but, uh, like I like to tell people, I even mentioned this is, is it, th- these, these stories are still circulated. 
You just, you just got to go to Donovan County. You just one mention and, and the story will unfold. And it's, it, it's interesting how small towns gossip and trauma can all really be interconnected. And, and a lot of, a lot of you may be asking, well, you said you're living on uh, a, a, the land and, and the place that, that, that uh, are my biological father's father, my grandfather for that case owned. So, well, why didn't, where were they? Uh, well, uh, your grandpa and grandma, um, they were like, I don't know, two miles down the road. They never, you know, they never offered to bring you guys food or anything. As a matter of fact, I needed to wash your, you boys clothes at one point. Mm-hmm. And I went there, uh, and asked grandma Clark if I could wash the clothes. And she said, no, because it would run the well out of water. So yeah, I, which was a real, con- it, w- it was a real concern amidst the eighties, amidst poverty mindset. Um, and again, amidst family trauma, this was a very traumatized family. And there are, I mean, we could unpack so much, um, of, of just the grandparents alone, but it, it, it was really, uh, systemic familial trauma on, on all accounts. Yes. Yes. Well, the, the over the overriding fact with all the the gossip and all of the trauma that people put through us was that you were i don't want to say this this way but the way that the clarks and everybody felt was that you somehow were not as good as your brother and i think you you knew about that i did in fact uh and, and another interesting thing i remember this my paternity remained in question for the longest time and i think even even i questioned it probably until last year when i actually went and got the ancestry dna thing and it all kind of lined up and i'm like okay because everybody all all the all of our my half and, and full siblings here, and there are what six? I'm the young. I'm the sixth. Uh, there are five. Uh, all have blue eyes. I have green eyes. Very good green eyes, but but <laughs> but yeah. So I always thought, and and so there was a question about paternity. Yeah, and and I and I wasn't preferred. In fact, um, my grandfather fondly would refer to me as the GD. Like he he would say it. The, that GD kid. I was never Randy. I was that blank kid yeah right you were and uh, it's your grandpa had a bad life and so he was he was traumatized he was but you know how that generation wouldn't express it but no um and can i tell a little bit about your exact beginning you you are free to share whatever because this is this is our opportunity to to really express to people that if you ever think your life is so weird that it needs to be a book like like we all have that so please feel free to share whatever you want. Okay, well, uh, if we had had uh, Michael, and you came eleven months later, and your dad did not want another child. He didn't. Mm-hmm. So we went into a, a great row. I'm pro-choice. He wanted to abort you. Mm-hmm. And I would not do it under any circumstances. And he kept at it and kept at it. And, you know, I'm going to throw you out if you don't do this. And, you mm-hmm. know, we're a kid and whatever. And I, I stood my ground. No, this child is going to have a life. And that was something that I had a hard time with that 
your dad wouldn't want you when he already had three other kids, you know, and mm-hmm. it wasn't going to happen. And he and I uh, eventually broke up, up as a result of what had happened. But it, it was never a question. Yeah. Never. And then I, we, we don't need to get into the exact specifics, but then what happened, the reason that I, that I was premature from what I believe was actually a matter of domestic violence that essentially was domestic violence. Oh, you, I didn't know you knew about that. Um, yeah, yeah, we'd had, we, it, there was, there's, there's been a great number of things that, I, that have kind of came to light as I asked some questions and, and, and explore, but so, so I was premature by, uh, I came at seven months at, due to, due, due to, due to an, basically an attack against you. Exactly. Um, we were out cutting wood because, uh, you know, everybody at that time in the country heated with wood. We were on a little, slight little hillside and we were cutting wood. And uh, your your father got into the truck, which was a three-speed, and he pressed down on the clutch and backed into me. And uh, that's when my water broke. And you and so, I went so the So the tailgate made contact, even just a slight contact with, with, you, with your stomach. And... It was actually the bumper of the truck. Okay. The bumper. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And... Um, you know, like I said, that you're even here at all is nothing short of a miracle. Um, you know, God brought you to me and he brought you to this world. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have set the pace for so many people. And, you know, I think that what we went through together, what we've gone through um, separately is the cement. Yeah. We people the cement to put you together uh, with everybody, not necessarily your, your children, but with everybody. We can teach cement to people. I know that sounds weird, but... No. I love that. So so then this, then there was this great... So coming back to the story, though, so, so, we, so my father had this change of heart, or I was born, uh, was in children's mercy. I'm brought home. Uh, to set this space, but, but there was tension between him and his father, my grandfather. So my grandfather's sister, Evelyn, who becomes my adopted mom, uh, kind of gets involved because I believe we were evicted from the house that didn't have running water. You mm-hmm. didn't have, a, I mean, there, there, there just wasn't a lot there. Right. Right. It was, uh, well, uh, what, happened was and i i have since learned that many people many parents have gone through this scenario or maybe something close to it um Mm -hmm. uh, your father was not working we had no insurance we had no money we had nothing and uh, evelyn which had been your great aunt Mm -hmm. suggested that we let you as an infant go to live with them because she had amazing insurance where she worked mm-hmm. and that if we gave them guardianship they would get you healthy and then when you were healthy they would send you home to us yes. uh, that was what the deal was to begin with yes that what that and i can speak from from hearing the story and again uh it's it, it, yeah the story on both sides the story was 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 true up to up to this point this this was shared to me as well as as, as material as yeah material fact Right. Um, so then you guys taking this moment ventured to follow a job. I believe uh, my dad was working in railroad. Was, was that where he was going? 
Yes, he was. Uh, and so you left Northeast Kansas, uh, took my older brother, uh, and you guys went to Wyoming. Correct. For a season. Right. And then I think I think there were some blessings. Things were kind of gaining momentum because you were outside. You know, there were there were a lot of positive factors, positive environment. Uh, yeah. Then then you moved to Arkansas. Correct. Now Correct. I love this is the story that I love the most, and 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 we'll, uh, I really want to touch base. You blossomed in Arkansas. You blossomed. <laughs> I mean, you met my father. I believe at a gas station. I believe that's that's what I was told. Okay, you're nodding, so we're good there. Um, and you know, again, you had your own history of abuse, um, some, some negative relationships and, and really you hit Arkansas and you became this barefoot gospel singer. I mean, you blossomed. I did. I did. Um, I'll toot my own horn. Um, I was the, in the mid South gospel circuit, I was number two, uh, all the time. The only one that ever beat me was the tenor from, uh, the stamps as in J.D. Stamps. Um, gospel career, I, you know, recorded and traveled. It was great. And then I decided my heart wanted to go into broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So got a degree and went to work in radio. And I did that for 20 years. So to tell the story though, here you've got, you've got one son with you, you're doing gospel, you're in church a lot and you're going to school. So, so basically you're feeling like, okay, my, my youngest one's taken care of. And, and, and I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to get an education. I'm going to pursue my passions. And I'm then, one, once I'm there, because this agreement's good, then I'll take custody. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so through the course of that, from my perspective, I, I don't remember what year all everything went down. I, was that 89 or 90? That was 1988. Okay. So... I, I, I remember a couple of visits, and again, I, I always talk about my first memory is, is asking my father, my birth father, why do you love my older brother more than me? Because you always leave me here. But somewhere through that, you're living your guys' life. You're getting better. You're doing your things. My father's actually working a job, et cetera, et cetera. It's all life's starting to really come together. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys came to visit, but I, part of me began to already, my identity began to shift because I was around my great aunt and my great uncle all the time. And it's kind of weird to be around your aunt and uncle all the time. That's, that's kind of out of the order of things. Exactly. So, so I began to assume the roles as parental roles, thus calling them mom and dad. And I think that's where things started to, to become very tense. So walk me through that. I believe it was a phone call that, that, it, that, that you'd first caught. What was that? Tell me about that. Okay. That phone call, we were living in Wyoming and I think we had been there four or five months and I called to check on you mm-hmm. and I was talking to Evelyn and all of a sudden in the background, you yell, mommy. Uh-huh. And I said, what's that? Is he calling you mommy? She said, only time he does that when he doesn't feel good. Okay. That put everything in motion. Okay. So, 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 so the ball, so the way that I was told it from the other side um, was that the agreement was, again, they would take care of me, get me healthy, get me better, and then they'd give me back. Um, and then I heard, but but then I hear the story of, well, we were, we tried. Uh, we, we kept saying, you need to come get him. You need to come get him. You need to come get him. Mm-hmm. We're getting attached. You need to come get your, get him. Right, right. 
Right. So, um, so, but you didn't, but I'm to assume, w- why wasn't it at that point? W- number one, was that in fact correct that they were saying that, that they were getting attached and that you needed to come? No, never said that to me. Never said that to your dad ever. Okay. Um, so, so then finally leading up to things, life's good. You have a trailer in Arkansas. It's all, was it Benton? Was it in Bentonville or Little Rock? Little Rock. Okay. So it was in Little Rock. Awesome. Um, but then you guys made the decision to come and get me. Exactly. What was this a heat of the moment choice? Like, like how did that conversation begin that we're going to do this? Well, um, we were coming up ostensibly to get you. Uh, so, we were traveling up to uh, Troy, Kansas, and we were talking about exactly how we were going to affect this. So uh, what we came up with when we got there was uh, we're going to take you for ice cream. And we bundled you up, put you in the car, and headed for Arkansas. That was premeditated. It was planned. We wanted, I wanted my baby. I wanted my Randy. And... Uh, I want to I want to continue this, but I I just want to come back to the clarifying question. Uh, th- y- why why was there not a conversation? Just just for people, so people who hear this knows why was there not a conversation about okay, time's up, uh, we're ready. There was never a conversation because I would call uh, your adoptive parents and I would talk to them. I would say, you know. It's time to bring him home, blah, 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 blah. But she would not go into specifics. There, there were no specifics. She never said, oh, we're attached or anything okay. like that. So that's kind of what that was. So they, they, they uh, when you would bring up the conversation, how would they react? How would they respond about, well, it's time to, to, it's time to reintroduce him to his family? They, I approached them several times with that, and that question, that that uh, conversation never took place. They would not talk about it. Okay, and just to clarify, just for listeners on this one here, that you had already legally signed over your legal rights, so you had to have this conversation. So you're trying to have this conversation, and right. it's just, it's it's not, it's not, it, it it's just going nowhere. Got it. Going nowhere. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you this part. Uh, they, we, we took you and we went back to Arkansas and the sheriff came about three in the morning and uh, arrested me and your dad uh, for uh, aggravated, I say, what was it? Aggravated interference, interference with mm-hmm. child custody. Yep. And we were, we were in jail. And the only way that we could get out was if we signed the adoption papers. Right. And how old was I at this time? Oh, wow. Maybe, maybe three. Yeah, I was thinking that was about it. And like, this is the most interesting thing. The memories of this time that I have are flashpoints. Um, I, uh, I remember the suction cup, like weird things. I remember suction cup Garfield. Mm-hmm. I remember that. I remember the Oldsmobile. Um, I remember dandelions. Um, I remember going to a grocery store that was down there that had the little kid carts. I, mm-hmm. I remember that. I remember your bed full of stuffed animals. I remember one night, um, my father, you know, Michael and I were, were sleeping and then my father came in and got really mad at us and was like, you need to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. So 
I, and I remember these flickers of details. Um, and then at one point, I don't remember this, but I w- we were both taken away from you. You guys were taken to jail. We were put into uh, foster care, like short-term foster care. We were, we were rehomed or temporarily at a, at a kid kennel. I don't know where they <laughs> – I don't remember that. But then the next flash that I remember was sitting with you in the back of a police car. Right. And I was playing with a little pony. And I remember you and my father were beside me. And then my 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 great aunt and uncle at that time, uh, my guardians were in the behind us. I remember just kind of just a flash moment. Um, then I remember being taken into this room um, with with fluorescent lights, and then you were there, and then that's fade to black. Uh, the next thing I remember is being back in Troy. Um, but it wasn't that simple. It was, it was a heated legal battle. Exactly. It was, it was, um, the, 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 the police were resistant to their attempts. Um, the judge was against it. That's right. Uh, you had everybody, well, you, you didn't have the family. You didn't have family backing at all. In fact, your family had already made the decision and decided to demonstrate that you were an unfit mother using allegations against you regarding the, the status of the house, my own health conditions, not taking into account a uh, conversation that people don't have is – conversation people didn't have in the 80s. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> – um, we, didn't, we didn't use car seats and we never had tough conversations about real issues in the 80s. Um, but so you guys were – you were literally in your early 20s stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Um, I guess the worst part about the whole incident was the relationship between your dad and I. Yeah. Um, you know, for people that are listening about this, it's not uncommon when you lose a child to fall apart in your marriage. We could not discuss it. It was just too painful. And we eventually did divorce. And, and that was the primary reason because we lost what we had. Yeah. So and he'd finally yeah. came. So did my father finally come to terms that it was okay to have a second kid? It sounds like, did he? Like, what was that process like? He, yeah. He finally, after we were divorced, uh, a few years after that, we were talking. And yes, he finally said, you know, I've got two sons. Uh, you know, and, and he was okay with that then, uh, your, your sexuality or whatever. He actually did accept that. Yeah. And that was good. Yeah. It was, it was very cool, but it, but it was a very traumatic experience. And, 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 and again, uh, things that I, 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 that are personal, but I like to talk about on the show. Uh, one of the things that, that, that you struggle with is you had a significant amount of trauma. It probably wasn't even used back in trauma. didn't exist in the eighties folks. I'm just kidding, yeah. but it was, it was a conversation, but you you had you came from a very broken family. We don't need to get into the into the nitty gritty of that, but but you had your own trauma, and so so the way that I understood it is essentially, you guys were caught between a rock and a hard place, right. very right. early on, and the easiest thing that people could do to rectify or understand it was to vilify was to vilify your the, the, the parental roles here. Right. When right. really you were in your early 20s. Yeah, I was I was just a child myself. Mm-hmm. And another another thing, 
a component of this. We could not afford legal counsel. We could not afford it. There was just no way. Right. When it became uh, legal, we could do nothing about it. There was there was just no money to do that. So that that played a great part in the whole scenario. Yeah, because wasn't it after the Clinton administration that 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 some rules into adoption processes were adjusted? I don't remember, but you said when it became legal. So I was just wondering. What well, when that when the op- when the adoptions became open? Okay. When they were open. Um, when we were in Arkansas and we had been arrested, we're in the sheriff's office. They approached a judge who was not in favor of giving you back, but since a judge in Troy had signed the order, they would not supersede the uh, first judge's order. Right. Yeah. So in that moment, when everything you've, you, I mean, I mean, you, you literally come to get your kid. We're going to go for ice cream. Okay. Well, it's time. We've got to take you back. Okay. So, so, so had some happy moments. Very few, but had some happy moments for 35 years of trauma, um, but um, had some happy moments. And then the next thing, you know, is, is there had to be that glimmer of hope that, come on, I'm going to pray. I'm in church. Uh, mm-hmm. God, 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 you're going to show the way. And I think he did. But at this point in time, when, when it finally came to, to when you found out that, that it was done, right. what, was, what, what was it like? like? Where were you moments before that? Before I signed the papers. Before you knew that, that you had no other choice. Like at one point you had a fighting chance, right? You're like, you're like, surely there's a fighting chance here. No, no, there was never any question. Um, you know, there was another person that was financing um, the people that took you. We couldn't afford an attorney when we were at the mm-hmm. sheriff's department. I, uh, I collapsed beside the truck. Um, it was over and, and uh, your aunt came out and was saying things and I don't, I'm not going to repeat it. Yeah. I, I had, I had a nervous breakdown um, and I lost my memory for about two months. And that's traumatic. Uh, that's, that's, that's a traumatic expression. Well, you know, one thing is that that pony, that little plastic pony you had, it was there at our house and mm-hmm. I put that in a plastic bag and just, I, I just clung to it um, because that was all that I had of you. They never sent pictures. They never called. There was no communication whatsoever. And whenever I'd look at, at your brother, I saw you. And I thought, this is so unfair. But the one thing about it, I had a friend who was always complaining about her children. Just gripe, gripe, gripe. Mm-hmm. And when I said, do you know how blessed you are? Because at night, when you put your babies to bed, you can look in there and see your babies. I can't mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. And uh, it was it, it was so emotional. I never, ever really got over it. I don't think one would, because although I didn't die in, in the physical sense, uh, and this is the thing that I, I, I joke to to this day, because, you know, I was I was named Randy Owen after your, your, your one of your favorite singers. Oh. Um, and so... His birth announcement was in the paper, but he would never have an obituary because I was adopted. I I was always called Randy, and then I was I was adopted, so my name was changed to 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 Randall, and um, my last name became my middle name, 
right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Clark. Yeah. But yeah, there, there was a real death there. So, so I want to come back to it a little bit, just kind of talking about mental health because it wasn't really there. There was significant trauma. There was significant depression. You, the, the, the world was literally closing in on you. How did, how do you, how did you mother through that? How did you, how did you become Jesse through that? How did you, how did you go on? Well, I'm a strong person. Mm -hmm. When it happened, there came a time when in my mind and through my prayers, I had to stand up and be strong. Mm -hmm. Not just for me, but I was, I had my, uh, I had your brother. I decided that people who did these things to me were the ones that were in the wrong. Mm -hmm. I was okay. And this, uh, this took years and years. Yeah. My strength went out because you can't, no matter what happens to you in your life, you have to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. or you're no good to anybody. Right. You can't, I I couldn't let it continue to kill me because if I had, I would not have been able to live and to be strong and do what I had to do. The pain of losing you is still with me. But I was doing nobody any good. I, I was not helping you by allowing myself to just shut off. It, it wasn't going to help anybody. So uh, I overcame it. it. I knew that I hadn't done anything wrong and that I had a purpose in life. And I was going to, I was going to show my purpose to just not me, but to everybody. Um, Frank Sinatra's got a song that's kind of my theme. It's called That's Life. And the yes. chorus, and the chorus is, uh, remember this, and I'll tell you one thing: whenever I get, when I get knocked down, I get myself up and get back in the ring. And that is sort of an anthem for me. That yeah, that's life. I'm going to get kicked down, but I'm going to get back up. I love that. I I think that's that's beautiful. Um, and yeah, if you. And I and I want to say this because I did a I did an interview uh, with with a woman who uh, lost custody of her kids, and there's such a shame there. Now, I'm not going to get into particulars, and I think everyone can have an, an, an. But in my truest opinion, I think being a mom in your early 20s, you need the kind of blessings, and you need the kind of support. You need to. I mean, so many people think that they could do better or have done better, but but really. You're vulnerable. I mean, just because you had a kid in your early 20s or even, even at any age, you deserve and you truly need your own village, your own support system, regardless, um, because villa, like the vilification, and, and we'll get to that too, um, is so negative. And and again, and the point of this episode that, and that I want to really show is family trauma those seeds of discord that are that, that people can sow these, these these forms of trauma can impact an entire life it has honestly taken me sorry <laughs> it's taken us both 30 some years to finally come to the place to say it's it's okay yeah yeah it's it, 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 it it's it's okay I, and it took a lot of therapy and it took a lot of coaching classes and a lot of personal books. More than that, it took a lot of prayers and more than that, it took a lot of love and more than that, it took a lot of forgiveness because you're not that person. I'm not that person. 
But then I, I oh, I'm sorry. No, I want to hear. Okay. Um, the very first time you called me in your adulthood, I think you were 24 or five. Mm-hmm. And the first question out of your mouth was, why was I so early? The first thing you asked me was that. What was and the question? You asked me why you were born so early. Early. Yes. Okay. Why were you born, you know, so early? Uh, and you were very direct and you were very bitter. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. You were upset. Because I think that's the first time that we ever talked. Yeah, I think I think that was one of the first times that we ever talked, and, and that it's all the all the more interesting. And yeah, twenty four. I think I I, you know, I just lost my 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 mom, my mama. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, um, and and I think there was a lot of anger, and and there was a lot because I grew up on, and and this is the whole thing about becoming me is I grew up on the stories, right, right. I I was raised up on the. stories. Stories and so yeah, I was very direct. I, I I wanted to ask that question to get you. I I wanted to hook you. I wanted I wanted to hear it from your mouth. Well, and I, when I found out that it was because I mean we'd love to be like oh she was being she was trying to create you know whatever the word is abuse uh, in vitro. When I realized and I and you shared with me in tears that it was it was a matter of of assault, right. I realized that in that moment, I needed to check myself. I needed to humble myself. And that really, there was a powerful story here that, that I had never been told, that I ever even, I never, it's easy to look at every, it's easy to look at people who quote unquote slighted you or whatever, especially in abandonment and be like, you must have hated me. You must have wanted me dead. That's why this was so easy. Never understanding that this was never an easy choice. Never. It, it, it never was. Well, no, the choice was easy for me. I, when you were born, mm-hmm. uh, we were in the hospital for two weeks and all my amnio- my amniotic fluid had drained out. And the hospital wasn't going to do anything because my OBGYN was out of town. So we laid in a hospital for two weeks and I could feel you inside of me struggling. Um, you were in fetal distress. And when you were born, they, they really didn't think you were going to live. That, uh, that was so hard. Um, they came and got you to take you to children's mercy. Uh, and they're, uh, they have a special van for uh, premature infants. And I just collapsed and, and sobbed and sobbed because you were my baby and mm-hmm. you were in there in that little isolate and there was a light on you and you were backlighted. And it was just, I, I, I still have problems with that. Yeah. I still have problems with that. <clears throat> well, I appreciate you for your vulnerability because yeah, that's there. Was, it, it was a lot of trauma in a short time. Um, and just to kind of go back because I, I, want to, I want to get the record straight, um, on this for both of us, um, was that, um, you were married before. So there was one son and things happened and you lost custody of him. Right. Exactly. 
and 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 that, that there was a threat involved uh, when you were alone by yourself. And and I think being out there in the country alone, vulnerable, broken, mental health plays a role. Decisions were made. Enough said about it. But 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 you end up losing custody of that one. Mm-hmm. Oh, this one. Um, and then there was another one, another son that you had given up for adoption at birth because you weren't in a place to, to be able to, from what I understand, you weren't, you just weren't in a place at that no, point. Not at all. Not mentally, not emotionally, not physically, not spiritually. Right. And, and, and so, and, and I want to, I, I want to hear your perspective on this to encourage moms because sometimes we, there, there's all this talk right now in the courts and, and you see it all the, the talk about Roe versus Wade, abortion versus this anyway, but talking about like, just, I want to talk about destigmatizing these hard decisions because there's a lot of guilt rather like it's, it's interesting, the arguments and, and, um, pro-life birth choice is like, well, if you don't want to give birth to it, then give it up for adoption. Well, that's okay. But also let's talk about how stigmatized that was, how, I mean, Ah, wow. The stigma of giving away of, of quote unquote, I shouldn't say I'm saying adopting, but, but it's the quote of, oh, well, so you didn't abort him, but you quote unquote gave him away. So, so I, I want, I want to talk about that. All right, let's talk about it. Um, well, I, as I said, I was raising my oldest boy and I was a cocktail waitress and I became pregnant and I couldn't, uh, I knew there was no way I could take care of both boys. So Without telling anybody, uh, I contacted an adoption agency and pledged my baby to them. I could not, I will not condemn my son to death because of an action I took. Right. I am, I am pro-choice right down the line. Yeah. But for me, I just couldn't do it. And I didn't tell anybody. Um, and I picked out his parents, which he was an architect and she was an interior designer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was early too because of some situations. And um, I gave him up for adoption. Now to answer your question about stigmatism. Yeah. People that have never been faced with a choice as difficult as what to do with your child. Mm-hmm. They understand that between the woman and God, they're going to talk and converse and pray. It is not an easy, ma- it is not an easy made decision mm-hmm. when you have to deal with your flesh and blood that you know you cannot give a good life to. Yeah. Quit me. My church quit me. Uh, everybody did. Every mm-hmm. single person did. The stigma of giving your child away, you can hide from that or you can try to make excuses for it. You can feel bad about it, but when it comes right down to is what's the best for my baby? The best thing for him was a, was a family that could take care of him. Yeah. Yes, I still carry that stigmatism to this day. People will not talk to me about that to this day, but you know what? Whatever. They can just do whatever. I did what I had to do to make sure that my little boy was going to be okay. And if that upset other people, that's just tough. Ab- absolutely. And, and see, again, we're t- I want to talk about shame. I want to talk about adoption, all these things, because it, they all, fundamentally, this story is a story of shame. It's a story of trauma. And it's, it's a story of continued 
shame because this was uh, a couple of years before I was even thought of um, and all of that. So, but this, because you gave up one quote unquote, gave up, I'm going to say it, that was, that was the term you gave up one no. kid. Um, I believe e- even um, in uh, one specific, um, you, one of your parents uh, compared you to a female dog who didn't want your, who would discard your babies. And that is the, uh, but there was a lot of abuse. So, and, and it was, that's, so I just want to make sure we're covering all bases. Like it was, it was, it was, it was a situation that was set to, to be explosive and to be volatile. Exactly. Exactly. So there, My, go ahead. I was going to ask one more question um, regarding, regarding uh, the first, uh, that first adoption. What about, and you, you shared a little bit about, about the guilt uh, earlier uh, before we went on air about that, uh, that son's father. And you shared that you you carry you still carried guilt. At that point in time, you didn't include. Did he know that you were pregnant? Mm, yes, he did. He did. Okay. Yeah. And was he in your life at all, or was he just not in your life? Okay. Matthew was the baby's name. Matthew's huh. dad was uh, a wonderful man, very talented, but uh, as you know. I have problems with my mother Uh and uh, my mother said, I'm going to take this baby from you. Mm -hmm. I decided early on that that was just not going to happen. My father came to the hospital and had all the adoption papers ready for me to sign. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm not signing those. And he said, well, I'm your father. And I said, I'm Matthew's mother. Mm -hmm. Now, Matthew's dad, um, died recently of a heart attack. I had guilt because I gave his son up for adoption without his permission, which you mm-hmm. could do in the eighties. You, you certainly can't do that now, but um, his, my mother would have been constantly aggravating his dad. If I had let him have him or if he'd stayed with me. Uh, absolutely. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say absolutely, and 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 to keep to to keep a sensitive subject kind of tightly sealed, but to kind of also shed light on it. Right. Things that about, about that particular sect of uh, you know uh, your mother, my grandmother, is that that she was just a very unhappy person. She was manipulative, yeah. um, and she always liked. To, she was she was a serial manipulator. She she even even you know up until I was about 24, tried to, tried to play mind games and manipulate uh, me. And, and she did. And so you, you grew up at the hands of, of significant abuse, which I can't fathom. Right. And, and that was covered up. So mm-hmm. here you are. I mean, you're finally able to breathe. You're finally free ish. And here they are coming, knocking at your door. I, I can easily understand why you made the best decision you could do at that time. Thank you. You, Other people's opinions have really never mattered to me within the realm of my children. I love mm-hmm. all of my boys. I love all four of you. And to make that decision made everybody very unhappy. But there was one thing that was not going to happen. I had a really terrible uh, childhood. Yes. 
purposes. So I was not going to expose my child to that. Absolutely. My dad told me that I was worthless and, and this and that. And I asked him, I said, this child is my seed. Do you really want another worthless person in your home? Yeah, yeah, because you believe that. You were trained to. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's so interesting because, and, and we're talking about a lot of topics here, and because you really, it's, it's, there are so many layers to it because it's, it's that initial trauma, hurt people hurting, but as a family continues to grow, those wounds, those seeds, that pain, it doesn't stop. I'm not saying it doesn't stop. You have to make the conscious choice to, to, to heal it. And that's why I think this season, again, and writing the book, Becoming Me, and all of these things has been so rewarding is because it's like, look, this is, this is my gift. And, and there's that quote uh, in a lot of the New Age thought groups of, that I love. It says, if you heal your wounds, you heal your family tree. And so I'm like, you know what? For those who are coming after me, and for, for those who come before me, I'm doing this because I owe you better. You couldn't give me better, but I owe you better. Exactly. One thing that really touched me, whereas my father was totally against it and upset, my grandfather, I, I wrote my grandfather a letter. He was a wonderful gentleman. And I told him what I had to do. And he wrote back and he said, granddaughter, God would applaud you for your choice. And that carried me got that carried me because he validated what I did and did not make me feel like some kind of a pariah because of the choice I'd made uh, absolutely and and again and again this was the 1980s this is kind of a small family dynamic there were there was a lot there was just so many layers to the piece and of all of of everything that you went through your hope was really in your grandfather he really is the glue that kept you going. I, I still have a photo and with your permission, I would love to show it on uh, randysilkwood.com on a blog post because you can just see the love and the energy and, and, and the story there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, share that. Um, because I know I'm confident that there are people, men and women, who've had to go through similar things like that and what happens is, is you have to take care of yourself so that you can, you can tackle these issues. You can work through your trauma. You can seek out help for it. Mm-hmm. You're, there's nothing wrong with you. You did what you had to do for the best. You are not, you're not a terrible person. You're not low. You, you're a champion because you've done what you had to do. Right. And in this life, you're going to have to do hard things. Now, I'm going to keep you on the line, but we're going to get ready to prep the, we're going to kind of prep a little, little bit because this is actually, the cool thing about this is there's so much to unpack and you've been so gracious. We're doing this in two parts. So, so just stand with me here while we kind of round it out. All right. All right, everybody, I want to say thank you so much for listening into this very powerful, very real, very vulnerable podcast with your host, myself, Randy Silkwood, and my biological mother, Mama, Mama Jessie. <laughs> we hope, and, and we truly have, have had, a, had such a great time, and we really hope that you've enjoyed our deep dive into kind of sharing 
our story about family trauma, adoption, mental health, really in an effort to destigmatize choices because we never truly know what choice we could make until we're faced with making it. And in a world that is so designed towards creating a conversation of shame, of overcoming, of, of, of overcoming and uh, all of it, 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 it's a pain. And there are just days uh, where we feel we can't do our best. So I want to let you guys know we are rooting you on. We're praying for you. We're sending you energy because it's important to be a champion in your life. And as a reminder, the Reframe podcast with Randy Silkwood is available on Apple Music, Spotify. You can also head on over to randysilkwood.com. Sign up for our email list as well as check out all of the links, resources, photos of my beautiful mom and me. And remember... (laughs) You are exactly the person that this world needs you to be. You are bold. You are unique. You are capable. So don't forget that. Until next time. Yeah.